Emory has the potential to really leap ahead of our peer institutions and do something truly innovative that I think the rest of the country and perhaps the world in 10 years from now will be copying. Today on 2036, the podcast, we'll be hearing from Dennis Leota, a chemistry professor at Emory University, executive director of the Emory Institute for Drug Development, and the co-founder of the Drug Innovation Ventures at Emory, or DRIVE. We'll also speak with George Painter, the CEO of DRIVE, a professor of pharmacology at Emory School of Medicine and the director of the Emory Institute for Drug Development. Their research has led to breakthrough therapies for diseases from HIV to COVID-19, and their work at Emory continues to push the boundaries of innovation to create groundbreaking advances in human health. Emory President Greg Benbez is your guide for this conversation. Let's join in. Good afternoon. I'm Greg Fenves, president of Emory University, and thank you for joining us today for this very special podcast taping live from the Emory Quad. Today, I'm joined by two incredible guests, George Painter and Dennis Liotta. I'd like to give some brief introductions. Dennis is the executive director of the Emory Institute for Drug Development and the Samuel Candler Dobbs Professor in the Department of Chemistry at Emory University. He has made significant contributions to improving human health, touching the lives of millions of people as a dedicated educator, entrepreneur, medicinal chemist, and humanitarian. His long-lasting legacy in technology and innovation includes his breakthrough discovery of emtricitabine and lamidavine during the peak of the fight against HIV, AIDS, and that epidemic. And his dedication to innovating new approaches to drug development in academia via the Drug Innovation Ventures at Emory, or DRIVE, model that we'll be talking about today. George Painter is a professor of pharmacology at Emory University, the CEO of DRIVE, and the director of the Emory Institute for Drug Development. Over the past 35 years, George has played a major role in the development and the implementation of modern antiviral therapy. He has led in the discovery of several antiviral drugs, including ones for HIV, HCV, HBV, and smallpox. He is the co-inventor on over 100 patents, six which have led to approved commercially available antiviral drugs. In his current capacities, George is committed to identifying the next generation of countermeasures against viruses with pandemic potential. George and Dennis, thank you both for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Yes. What a wonderful day. So let's begin at the beginning. How did the two of you meet? <laughs> Well, let me start. When I was a new assistant professor at Emory, George was a senior graduate student in the doctoral program in chemistry. And he used to come down to my lab all the time and we'd talk about science. And I said, ah, this guy really likes me. But it turned out that he was actually after a woman in my lab. And I subsequently found out, but he ended up doing the right thing because he married her and is still married to her. So that's how close our relationship has been. So George, what is your side of the story? <laughs> well, Dennis told the truth. Yeah. So 
that was, it's hard to believe, was over 40 years ago. And he was 10, I was 12. And I wish that were true. But, you know, she was an Emory alumni too. She had a BS and MS and went on to get a MD. And so we had three kids, two of them went through Emory. So it was the beginning of a long Emory legacy. Well, I could see that. All, all, began, all began in Dennis's lab. It did. So, George, you're a first-generation college student, and you earned, as you said, your bachelor's degree and Ph.D. at Emory. How did Emory prepare you for the careers that you've had and, and the life you're leading now? Emory opened a door to me, to the world. Emory, in 1968, when I first stepped on the campus, wasn't the Emory of today, but it still was a door to experiences and opportunities that I, I never would have had. I mean, just a small story about that. Last year, I was at a university in South Central Asia in the Altai Republic. I almost tear up. <laughs> you have to forgive me. And so they're into toasting and said, what's your toast? And I said, well, science. Science that I learned at Emory has almost been a magic carpet. You know, and it's, it's carried me around the world. It gave me the opportunity to take part in what we're contributing to now. It, it was my beginning for sure. Well, it's a, George, you're an incredible example of what an Emory education prepares our students for. So, Dennis, can you discuss the discovery of M-tricytamine and what was, the, what was the climate like in the 1990s as the HIV and AIDS pe uh, pandemic was taking place and the research? How did you end up, uh, for, so that's one set of questions, and then how did you end up working with George on this? The epidemic, as you know, started in 1981, and despite some predictions about having a vaccine almost immediately, which we still don't have, by the way, I had, because of our friendship, we had set up a collaboration in 1987, not on virology, but I happened to be at Burroughs Welcome, where George uh, was in the virology group there, at uh, the day that AZT was approved for HIV. And they told me that, that it wasn't a very good drug and that they were sure that something new would come along soon and, and solve all the problems. But a couple of years went by and there were no problems that were being solved. And I finally said, some of the most creative people I know are getting sick and dying. And I just felt like I had to do something. And against the advice of my colleagues, I just decided that I was going to attempt to make antiviral drugs. I got some good help. My colleague Raymond Shinazi taught me a lot about virology. And I was still in contact with George. And we ended up collaborating with Burr's Welcome. And we were in the right place at the right time. And we made these two drugs that turned out to be really, really important. Emtricytabine is probably the safest and best antiretroviral agent that exists even today, even though we made it a long time ago. So having that collaboration with George was really important because they were the first outside group to test it. So Raymond's lab tested it first, and they corroborated what, was in, what Raymond had. And next thing we knew, we were collaborating together. Actually, that led to a a spin-out called Triangle Pharmaceuticals. That's where M-Triva came, E-M for Emory and T-R-I for Triangle. And George, uh, you must be very proud to have worked with, with Dennis in this. 
Yeah, it was quite a collaboration. I had been on the um, ACT team. So we were treating patients who, for the first time, were getting drops in viral burden. But after about six months, it would start coming back. And believe it or not, at that time, the concept of resistance wasn't well accepted. So we had to prove that. And then the idea of combining drugs came along Combavir, and Combavir uh, came out of lamivudine and emtricitabine, and I led that effort. And Dennis and I collaborated. So, yeah, it started in Emory and took us all the way through to approval, which was when? For emtricitabine in 2003. Yeah. Yeah. But with Combavir, I should throw in that that was the very first rationally designed combination antiviral therapy that George and one of his colleagues invented. Yeah, it wasn't. It was. It was interesting. That concept of combining drugs was, of course, uh, well known for antimicrobials, but putting it together to get the combined effort of those drugs to drive down viral burden. And Dennis is right. That's the first time there was a downward deflection in the death curve from HIV was Combavir. So, as scientists, was there an aha moment in this process that you said? we've got it? And, and if so, how did, how did you feel at that time? Well, we had several aha moments. And one was they had tested the compound that became emtricitabine in so many ways you, you can't imagine. And they loved it. It was great. And then one day, George called me up and he said, emtricitabine is dead. He called it FTC at the time. He said, it's dead. And I said, what do you mean it's dead? And he said, resistance, develops resistance very quickly. And that's when they found that the combination with ACT, and this would ultimately be done with lamivudine or developed with lamivudine, but we knew that the future was combination therapy. And everything changed at that point. Yeah, everything changed. And I think what's interesting in the story, too, is that it's not just all about science and medicine. Big changes were coming in society particularly in the pharmaceutical sector, they were merging to market share, and the best HIV drug out there got caught up in that. That was another not-so-good aha moment. But I, I think perseverance and dedication to the end pushed everything through. Well, that uh, transitions into what you all accomplished and then learned from that and the genesis of DRIVE. So, so Dennis, tell us, what was the idea behind drive at Emory University? So we collaborated all through the 90s and then into the early 2000s. And I had made a lot of mistakes. I had and learned from those mistakes. And it became clear that in academia, there were unintended impediments to doing drug development. You could do drug discovery very easily but developing a drug, there were a lot of impediments that people never realized. And we said, we have to figure out a way of getting around that. And uh, George and I just started to brainstorm about it. And we came up with this idea of uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of the university that was independent of the university and therefore not uh, necessarily stuck to all the the regulations and policies. And we thought about how 
that could work. We, we got this idea of a not-for-profit drug development company, and when we told a friend of George's who is a venture capitalist, he said, what does that mean, a not-for-profit drug development company? It, it was just a foreign concept. But because this guy is so, such an amazing scientist, business person, we got it to work. So, George, you're CEO of Drive, and you've been working on, on Drive for a number of years. How were you ready so early in the COVID-19 pandemic to, to mobilize the work that you had been doing in antivirals for the fight against COVID-19? Yeah, so it goes back to really 2000. I was deeply involved with the U.S. government in the genesis of the BioShield Act, and then in 2006, the Pandemic and All Hazards Preparedness Act. And so there was this discussion, and, and the, the, the favorite terminology in the day was public-private enterprise. So how do you bring developers proximal to innovators so that you have this seamless interaction to better push forward countermeasures? Well, the United States had made a list of over 60 uh, threats to that were either bioterrorists or emerging disease threats. The vast majority were single-stranded RNA viruses. At any given time, single-stranded RNA viruses are, can be account for about 80% of the disease burden on the planet. So back to that venture capitalist, if we would have gone out to the public and started talking about any other kind of indication to start drive with, we wouldn't have had any credit on the street. But with all the background in antivirals, when we took that concept out there, we can interact with the U.S. government by way of contracts, which we've done in Emory, and we're going to address known threats. Those threats were single-stranded RNA. So we were at the right place at the right time. So it's November, December 2019. There's this uh, mysterious new coronavirus in, uh, in Wuhan, China. And what were you thinking? What was, what was going on at that time in, in Drive? Well, we had large contracts with Defense Threat Reduction and the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, NIAID. And we were moving this drug forward, or this drug candidate that had a very broad spectrum. And we all agreed, the government and us at Emory, we needed to get an investigational new drug application open quickly. So the way to do that was influenza. Um, the drug showed activity against even avian flu, which has a high mortality rate. But NIAID wanted this to be broad spectrum. So their definition of broad spectrum was at least two. So we already knew we were active against SARS and MERS. So the drug was being pushed forward for influenza, and highly pathogenic coronaviruses. So in January, when it really started to ramp up, the FDA and the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority called us. So there we were, the show started. And of course that resulted in molnupiravir, and it's in the news a lot. <laughs> and so as it all got rolling to this day, just give us a, a sense of, uh, of what, what was going on. The take home lesson is, it's hard to prepare. It's hard to understand how to move a drug and demonstrate safety and efficacy fast enough to be impactful 
in a pandemic that's rolling up very quickly. Like I said, I've been doing this 35 years, and I'd never experienced anything. The interaction with regulators in the United States and the United Kingdom was 24-7. Everybody was ready to go. And it's normal with these drugs. When they start to roll out, you sort of get a group that's highly enthusiastic and a group that's skeptical. And working that dynamic has been very interesting. It all started sitting on the floor of a hallway in a hotel at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference when with the CEO of Ridgeback, we came to terms. And they quickly stepped up um, with cooperation from the government to accelerate this. And then that got it through phase two quickly and then into a hands of a advanced developer who could take it global Merck. But we communicated 24-7. So, Dennis, with your, your long experience in discovery and, and drug development, it's, you know, it's so impressive about what you and, and your colleagues at Emory have been able to do of build on research over many years that's been uh, part of the key to success, but also translate discoveries into drugs that actually help people. So as, as we look to the future, uh, what, what are your thoughts about what we can learn that works well and things that we need to improve at Emory to, to make that process even more effective for the next disease, the next pandemic that, that we may face? Well, I'll make two points. The first point is that Molnupiravir is already preparing for the next pandemic because, as George said, it's broad spectrum. And if the next pandemic involves a virulent single-stranded RNA virus, there's a pretty good chance that monopiravir will have some activity against it. And the government uh, will probably stockpile this and have it available in case of that emergency. Now, to Emory, that would be a really long answer, and I know we don't have time for really long answers, but what we need to do is take the culture of innovation here that is strong but siloed in many respects. And I think we have to figure out some ways to let people with complementary skill sets find easy ways to interact and collaborate. And we need infrastructure and we need to educate our faculty about these opportunities. And if they're interested, they have to learn some things beyond their own discipline about business development and about intellectual property, because all of those are intimately intertwined with the things we do. If you you just care about the science and you don't worry about getting intellectual property protection, then nobody's ever going to develop your drug. So Emory has the potential to really leap ahead of our peer institutions and do something truly innovative that I think the rest of the country and perhaps the world in 10 years from now will be copying. Now, George, as CEO of Drive, um, any, any thoughts that you have how we can do things better at Emory? I think we're on track. First of all, I think we've demonstrated how this can work. And there aren't many examples of how this has worked. So I think we've worked across governance lines in order to bring the pieces together. 
And I think we need to do exactly what Dennis says, work carefully to formalize how we can keep this operation running smoothly and how we can facilitate getting what the innovators do into the hands of developers that can show the potential impact it has for mitigating all of the risks that are still out there. Well, I'll say if, if you two and your colleagues and your students are, are smart enough to figure out how to come up with uh, antiviral drugs against single-strand RNA viruses, as president of Emory University, we should be smart enough to figure out how to solve those problems. We love it. We love it. Well, I want to thank you both for being here and especially thank you for the research that you've done, the students you've educated, and what's most important, uh, the impact that you literally have had on saving millions of lives around the world. Thank you. Thank you all. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Dennis Liotta and George Painter. You can find more stories from 2036 and dive deeper into their work at 2036.emory.edu. That's 2036.emory.edu. This podcast was developed and produced in partnership with Ideas United and Emory's Division of Advancement and Alumni Engagement. This episode was edited by Ramsey Yunt and contains music by Cymatics and Denise. I'm Anir McJohnny, president of the Emory Alumni Board.